It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
Pentecost. Let's hear something. Come on, people. Wake up. Woo-hoo. Woo. <laughs> uh, praise Jesus. What about praise Jesus? Praise Jesus. There you go. That's better. Praise. Okay. Hey, AJ. Hello, brother. Hello, Kiki. Hello, everybody in Zimbabwe. Nicholas, uh, Peter, uh, slap me silly. I get it right. Praise the Lord Jesus. Let somebody say, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's go in prayer. Good morning, Heavenly Father. Happy Pentecost, Father. Praise your holy name of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we do pray, Lord, that you have been enjoying your day of Pentecost in heaven and across the world, in Zimbabwe and Australia and Korea, and your day is just starting here in America. Praise your holy name. Thank you, Father, for getting us up today, giving us energy and strength. Thank you for opportunity. Lord, to lift your name on high. Praise you, Father. Praise you. Thank you, Father, for a new day and a new week and for this special high holy day. Praise your holy name, Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this revelation that we are about to receive. Ask, Lord, Heavenly Father, your special anointing. Please put your words in my mouth. Please help me to flow your spirit, and your words. Father, please anoint everything I say so that it be your words and not mine. Please anoint the hearts and the ears, souls, to receive your word. May people believe the truth, and may we let go of all the deceptions and things that we have falsely assumed. May the truth now be exalted for the glory of the Father in Jesus' holy name. Father, this service is yours. Jesus, we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Amen. Well, it is Pentecost. So let's start in Acts chapter 2. Amen. When you think of Pentecost, I think of Acts chapter 2. Amen. Acts chapter 2. Today is the sixth day of the third month.
shout out to Brother Russell as well and see he's tuned in. It's good to see him joining us this morning on this holy day of Pentecost. I'm going to start in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And God willing, we'll go down all the way through verse 21. Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Now, the fact that they were together in one place proves that after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, and even after he ascended back into heaven, that they were still observing the day of Pentecost. It wasn't just the day of Pentecost, but the church, including Peter, was observing the day of Pentecost because they were not in their separate houses. They were all together in one place. Therefore, it's very clear that they were continuing to celebrate the holy days even after death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In verse 2, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Now we'd like for you to underline the word again. Because, as you know, in the Alpha and Omega Bible, I translate the word Holy Spirit as Holy Breath. Remember that God breathed into Adam, and he became a living soul. And Jesus is the word of God. A word is something that is spoken with your breath. God is a fire, and he is water, and he is spirit. But wind also represents him at times. At times, in verse 3, and there appeared to them tongues as of fire. If you think of tongue, you taste, eat, but you also use your tongue when you speak as well. Not just tasting, but when you speak, how you hold your tongue, even though you don't really think about it no more. But how you hold your tongue, where you place your tongue, it is part of your speech, absolutely. I knew a man one time up in Pennsylvania that had some kind of defect with his tongue. And because of his tongue defect, he talked much, much different than other people. Your tongue definitely plays a part in your speech. You underline tongues as well. So we have wind and tongues. Both of these are elements of speech. When you speak, there is breath or wind coming from your lungs, and your tongues are moving. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Underline the word filled. This is the presence of God, Jesus Christ himself, who had just went back to heaven ten days before that, Coming back, as he said that he would. He said, I will not leave you orphans, John 14. I will come back to you. I will come to you. He said, I will. 
come to you. I will not leave you for This is Jesus' ghost, the soul of him who died, but is still alive, holy ghost. This is Jesus coming into these people, these people who were keeping the holy days. This is his stamp of approval upon the observance of the holy day. Jesus fills these people up with his presence, with his soul, with his ghost. And these people began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So in other words, tongues that were not their normal language. They were not speaking the way they normally speak, but they were speaking with the tongues, the breath, the word of God. It was God speaking through these people rather than them speaking. Yes, their tongues were moving, their mouth was moving, breath was coming from their mouth, but spiritually, it was God. Physically, it was humans moving their mouths and tongues and lips, voice box, but it was the Spirit of God that was speaking. It was Jesus as the Spirit has given them utterance, meaning that the Holy Spirit, greater measure of God throughout the universe, which exists outside the body of Christ, was working in cooperation with that part of God that we call the Holy Ghost. There's only one Spirit. There's not two, there's not three, there's not a million. But there are parts of God just as there are parts of us. Holy Ghost is the part of the soul that died and rose again. Here's the spirit working with the ghost, these two parts of himself. Verse 5, at that time, they were staying in Jerusalem, devout male Jews from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. So a man from Ethiopia would have been able to hear the Ethiopian language, even though these people did not know the Ethiopian language. And the speaking, God was speaking, Jesus was speaking, all the different languages in each person's different languages each person individual. There was no interpretation. Paul said in the Corinthians that there must be an interpreter. But there are exceptions to almost everything. Why would you need an interpreter if the person is already understanding? In that case, you would not need an interpreter. There was not an interpreter present here in Acts chapter 2. You would not find the word interpreter or interpretation or any form of that word, any words, actually any words in the, the whole book of Acts. And yet the book of Acts, you have more people speaking in tongues than any other book of the Bible. But yet there was never interpreted any words in the book of Acts, ever. So Paul, when he's speaking in Corinthians about a need of interpreter, you have to understand 
But he said that to a particular congregation in the town of Corinth in that day and that time 2,000 years ago that was having a problem with too many people talking at the same time. Too many people causing confusion. Not enough order. The pastor not maintaining enough order during services. That was the situation that Paul was addressing. We cannot apply that situation to every congregation in every generation in every town. The people have got to stop saying that there must always be interpreter. There never was an interpreter in the whole book of Acts. But they needed one for the church at Corinth. Paul was not writing to the entire church of every town when he wrote that. He was writing specifically to that church of Corinth. We have to understand the context of all of his writings, of any of the scriptures. Who is it speaking to? Amen. But here the people understood in their own language, each one. A man from Egypt would have heard in the Egyptian tongue. And a man from Sudan would have heard in the Sudanese tongue, whatever you would call it. Verse 7, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we each hear in our own language to which we were born? And the Pyrenthians and the Medes and the Elamites, residents of Macedonia and Judea and Capitonia, authors in Asia, uh, whatever the name of that town is, Pergria, and Pamela, Egypt, and the district of Libya around Serene, and visitors from Rome would probably would hear, hear in Greek. Both Jews and New Gentile converts, Koreans and Arabs, would have heard it, heard it in Arabian type of tongue. We hear them in our own language, speaking of the mighty words of the gospel. Of the mighty works. And they were all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, They're all full of sweet wine, they're all drunk. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, all twelve of the disciples standing up, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, because it's only the third hour of the day. Verse 16, but this is what was spoken of. Saying this is the fulfillment of to the prophet Joel. Quote, and it shall be in the last days that Theo says that I will pour forth of my ghost upon, it says, all mankind. But, it should not say all mankind because God is not going to inhabit the flesh of wicked men. Amen? He's not going to pour his ghost out upon the, the wicked people, only those that are repentant and committed to him. So where it says all mankind, we're going to change to much flesh. He will pour out his ghost on much flesh. 
That's what it always says in Joel, which he's quoting from. So they need a match. It needs to match Joel, where it says, much flesh. Greek word there is not mankind, but it is flesh. It is translated flesh. In the other places, we would see that other Greek word, that Greek word. So it needs to be much flesh. He will pour out his ghost upon human flesh. Much, much flesh, but not all mankind. That wouldn't make any sense. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Now, where it says prophesy, I realize I've got already all of this already underlined in a very dark, curvy underline, representing that it is Old Testament quotation. But I like for you to give it an extra underline in both under the word prophesy, because that's very important for the sermon today. Very, very important. Prophesy. What does that mean? Now, we always traditionally think of the word prophesy as meaning giving a prophetic uh, foretelling of future events, declaring what's going to happen with the invasion, World War III, the end times, prophecy, the way that we normally think of it. And it can mean that. It can mean that, but it doesn't always. I will pour out my ghost upon much flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Young men shall see visions, the old men shall dream dreams. Verse 18, even on my bond servants, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my ghost, and they shall prophesy again. He says it twice, so it's pretty important. And I will grant wonders in the sky above, and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke, and the sun would be turned into darkness and the moon into blood as far as appearance before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. In other words, before Jesus actually comes, we must see these heavenly signs of the sun and the moon becoming red and dark. And verse 21, and it shall be that many who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Most translations say everyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, but that would go contrary to the verse that says that many shall say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, and I will say unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. So no, just calling on the name of the Lord in the end time is not enough. So it would not be everyone that calls on the name of the Lord. That wouldn't make any sense. Because there's a lot of lost people that call on the name of the Lord all the time. But many people who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Many people will be. There is going to be what we call a revival. There will be. But when? Notice it is during the time frame of the heavenly signs of destruction upon the earth, great tribulation. And we know from the prophetic timeline that Jesus did give us the five holy days 
in the end time prophetic timeline that this this event of the sun and the moon darkening that is the sixth seal and that happens on guess what day pentecost amen that happens on pentecost well this is the day of pentecost when peter is saying this quoting this reading this to people quoting it so peter recognized a connection between the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, people prophesying, people speaking in tongues. That hint. And Pentecost. And the heavenly signs, even though he didn't see any heavenly signs. But even though he did not see the heavenly signs, he thought it was the fulfillment. He thought it was the end of days. Paul did, Peter did. Isaiah did, Ezekiel did, many of the prophets and apostles and disciples always thought that they would see the coming of the Lord in their day and their time. We should not be any different. We've got to stay on our toes. Amen. So, Peter recognized, though, from Scripture, a connection of prophesying, miracles, signs, divine signs in the spirit, not just in the physical elements of the sky, but in the spirit, spiritual signs. In the time frame of Pentecost, he recognized that. And when is the revival going to come? Many, many people pray and ask and so-called prophesy a revival this month, this year, next year, which is foolishness and ignorance and vain hopeful thinking. Normally it would be good to be hopeful thinking, but not if it's reality. I mean not not if it's not reality. Amen. People must be careful about what they predict. People have this problem all across the world, but especially in Africa, where in Africa they're listening to and watching a lot of uh, so-called prophets, false prophets that come from Africa that are on TV and on the radio, and they're all the time blessing people and saying, uh, this nation in Africa is going to have a great revival and the world's going to have a great revival this year, next year, thus saith the Lord. And it's always words, or most of the time, words of blessing and prosperity. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. They say this all the time because people in Africa need encouragement. People in Africa are very oppressed financially. Physically, very desperate situations all the time, always in the dry desert valley, rarely up on, rarely, rarely up on a prosperous mountaintop. So the false preachers, the false prophets in Africa and around the world, they know that these African people, and even Americans and Koreans, people everywhere, like to hear a good word. And they tickle the ear, what people want to hear. And people heap unto themselves teachers 
of what they want to hear that would tickle the ear, that would make them feel good, be positive, motivational speakers. And that's all they are is motivational speakers, not true prophets. Amen. So you have to be very, very careful not to be speaking forth false decorations of blessings. that the church is going to grow, that there's going to be revival, that it's going to happen right away, it's going to happen soon. There is going to be an increase in this ministry, absolutely, soon. We're seeing it already. This church, this ministry, this congregation, all around the world is growing. But I wouldn't call it revival. And I wouldn't say large numbers. Not until we get into the tribulation and see destruction and chastisement from the Lord. Then people will start repenting. And it's only in the final year of the great tribulation, in that prophetic timeline, on the day of Pentecost, of one year before Jesus comes, on the day of Pentecost, that we're going to see the true fulfillment of this verse, which is being quoted in Joel 2. Amen. So we must understand the timeline as well. Amen. Now, if anybody's not yet read that timeline and studied it yet, please see that article at I saw the light ministries.com slash dates. Dates, D-A-T-E-S dot H-T-M-L. Or just look in the um, search box. There's a box on the bottom of every page on the website where you can type in words that you're looking for. and type in dates, five prophetic holy days or something like that, end time prophetic timelines, five holy days, end time timelines button to that effect, and it will very easily show you, uh, give you a link to it, you'll find it in that search box. Now, most people assume, we all assume, we have all assumed, every one of us have assumed that this was the first time that anybody spoke in other tongues. as a prophetic gift from above. That's what we're taught in websites, churches, books, preachers, where we have been taught and we have assumed both that this was the first time people spoke in tongues. It was not. It was not. I will prove to you today by revelation of the Lord and by Scripture that they spoke in tongues in the times of Moses, Paul, Samuel, those days and in those times, they spoke in tongues on multiple occasions. Speaking of tongues was not a brand new thing. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. And this was God speaking, and God has always spoken, and God has already always known all the languages of the world. Amen. God has always spoken, always known all languages. 
God has always spoken to people of different tribes. Amen. And God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. This was not something new. Now, from verse 1 through, and you can read his whole book of Acts, and all the New Testament, in every occasion, and it would never ever say that this was something new. It does not say it was new. It does not say this was the first time it happened. If it really had been the first time that he poured out the gift of speaking in tongues, I believe it would say so because the Bible is so, so detailed. Amen. But it never says in this chapter that this was the first occasion or that it was a new thing. But we know that it is a prophecy for the future and that these things will increase. We already see that some people have dreams and visions and some people prophesy and some people speak in tongues. But when we get to that final year, all these things will increase. These signs from heaven, spiritual signs from heaven will increase. Now let's turn to uh, the book of history, volume number two. One Samuel ten. Good old Samuel. He was a great man of God, a great prophet of the Lord. Amen. One Samuel ten. One Samuel chapter ten, and let's start in verse five. God willing, we'll go from verse five through verse thirteen. One Samuel ten verse five. Down, we'll go all the way down to verse thirteen. Verse five it says, "Praise the Lord Jesus." It says, "And afterward, you shall go to the hill of Theos, where is the encampment of the Philistines." And there is this person called uh, Nash Bib. If you take out the I, it would be New American Standard Bible, N-A-S-B. But it has the letter I in there, though. There is Nash Bib, the Philistine. And it shall come to pass, when you shall, shall have entered into the city, that you shall meet a band of prophets coming down from the Bama. And before them, will be lutes, a musical instrument, and a drum, and a pipe, and a harp, and they'll be speaking divine words. Now, in the footnote there in the Alpha Omega Bible, I have already the footnote that says, possibly worshiping or speaking in unknown tongues. So I had already declared 
that this might be what they were doing, speaking in tongues. And now I am 100% for sure that this was what they were doing. What does it mean, speaking divine words? Now, most translations would say prophesying. They were prophesying. Again, we saw that word prophesied two times in Joel 2, quoted in Acts 2. What does prophesying mean? We think of it as always, 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 without exception, declaring the future. Now, as we continue to read, notice how it never says that they declared the future. Think about it, Ezekiel, Jeremiah's, Daniel, the book of Revelation. Any time that people declared the future, it, it tells you what they declared. It always tells you they said a such and such of a nation will invade. This will happen, that will happen. They actually declare the prophecy. It really does, does not make much sense for it to only just say they prophesied future events. They prophesied in the context of given prophecy without declaring what the prophecy is because it never really does that in the Bible. I don't know of any example in the Bible where it would say that they prophesied something without declaring what they prophesied. But here, translations normally say they prophesied and yet not give details about what they prophesied, which really does not make sense. So the word prophesy is one of those words that have changed meanings and evolved over time. We know that much of agent language has been lost or distorted and twisted over time. And we are still learning and restoring the agent languages. So this speaking divine words is a better translation rather than just prophesying because if we keep the word prophesying like other translations do, then we misunderstand. They were not declaring future events because if they were, it would declare what future events was going to happen, which it does not. So this speaking divine words is the correct translation, but we're going to add what we're going to do is we're going to mark out the part of the footnote that says possibly worshiping or. So we're going to mark out that part of the footnote that says possibly worshiping or. And we're going to keep the footnote that says speaking in unknown tongues. It's already translated correctly in the Alpha and Omega Bible. They were speaking divine words. But that means. That means they were speaking in unknown tongues. That's what it means. That's what they were doing. And I'm going to prove it to you. Verse 6, the Spirit of Jesus. Remember we saw the Holy Ghost in Acts 2 coming upon the people, filling the people. Verse 6, the Spirit of Jesus shall come upon you. That's what happened in Acts 2. That is what's prophesied for the Pentecost one year before Jesus comes back. The Spirit of Jesus will come upon you and you shall speak divine words with them 
and should be turned into another man. That's more. That's different than just declaring divine words. I mean, uh, speaking future dates and future events. Amen. Becoming another man is not acting like yourself, being a different person, speaking a different way, not speaking your words, but speaking somebody else's words. Amen? So it is declared here that Saul would see this band, this worship band of prophets Worshiping the Lord, playing music, much different musical instruments, speaking divine words, and that when he sees it, that the Spirit of God would come upon him, into him, and change him, and he himself also to speak these divine words. In other words, speaking tongues as well. Now, as some of you know, I spent a lot of time in the Pentecostal churches. I never did join them. I never was baptized by them. I also attended with Baptist churches and Worldwide Church of God and different denominations and churches, different groups of different doctrines and different ways of worship services and, and so forth. So I have some experience about how different churches believe and how different churches perform their worship service. Now, I never was a member of any of those groups, but I attended with them and observed them. And at Pentecostal churches, many of them, I witnessed speaking in tongues. Some of them were, much of it was fake, much of it was nothing more than made-up gibberish. And some of it was demonic tongues, demons speaking through people. But some of it was also real and true, divine words of Jesus speaking through the people. I know that I heard some true divine words of Jesus speaking in other tongues. And it was not always that we could understand what was being said, no. It was not always 100% identical to Acts 2 where they understood what was being said. But Paul said that an interpreter was needed at times in the context of the Corinthian church. And if an interpreter is needed, then you're not understanding what's being said. So it's not always going to be that you understand what's being said. Otherwise, there would never need to be an interpreter ever. The very need, need for interpreter in some churches, in some congregations, in some contexts, the very need of interpreter tells you that you're not always going to understand what is being said. Now, my experience 
in sin, people speaking tongues, is it always, almost always, starts out with planned worship music, as we see here in this verse. You have people worshiping the Lord. There is music going on. People worship God. And then, like, like I said in the sermon yesterday, do not quench the Spirit. Do not damn it up. Allow the Spirit of God to move and flow through your mouth, through your body, through your mind, through your soul, and do not quench, do not hinder the Spirit of God. And when you are worshiping the Lord and different people are raising their hands and saying amen and saying praise God, glory to the Lord, and so forth, then you allow God to move, and God feels more free to move. Amen? For example, when you go to any kind of a concert or any kind of uh, event out and about, in our modern day and time, if it's a small gathering, most people never clap anymore. Most people never cheer, yell, clap, get excited, even tap their foot or anything anymore. People are so dull here in the United States. I know it's much different in Africa and other, people, other places. But here in the United States, when I was a child, you go somewhere and somebody's singing, playing music, People would tap their feet, they would clap their hands, people would be energetic, people would get involved in the music and, and react to the music. But now everybody is dead and afraid, and that's what it is, it is fear. People are now afraid that somebody might see you clapping your hands, somebody might see you uh, moving your head, somebody might see you tapping your foot, enjoying yourself, and they are stiff as a board. They won't move their head. They won't move their feet. They won't move their hands. They are dead mentally, emotionally, physically, in every aspect. People are scared to death to enjoy themselves in a worship music or any kind of music, unless it's rock music. And it's ridiculous. I want to move to Africa just so I can be with people that is not afraid to dance and sing and enjoy themselves. Amen. But if there be one person in the crowd that would start enjoying themselves, make a little motion, make a little sound, react to the music, then somebody else might notice, and this happens. That if somebody else notices that person feeling free to enjoy themselves and enjoy the music, then they also start clapping. Then a third person, then a fourth, then a fifth. And then everybody starts feeling more comfortable and at liberty to enjoy themselves. That is the nature of people. And the same is true not only out there in the world, but inside a worship service building, a church building, that if one person would just be unhindered and allow the spirit to move and allow themselves the liberty 
to worship freely without fear and not worrying about what the other person thinks, what the other person sees, it catches on. And what they say in the Pentecostal church, and it's very true, is that if you allow a little fire to catch on within yourself, you allow the Spirit of God to move within yourself, that fire will catch on to somebody else, the other person will start reacting and being free and worship, and the fire will grow. And this is so very true. So Saul, Saul, or it was prophesied that it would happen, that he would see the people worshiping, that he would hear the music, and the other people would already be on fire for the Lord. The other people would already be speaking in tongues, speaking divine words. And him too then would catch on fire, that him too would also have the same reaction. That he would start speaking divine words, speaking in tongues as well, and be turned into another man, not acting himself, not acting as he normally acts, but would start acting different. Verse 7. And it shall come to pass when these signs, underlying signs, Remember, in the book of Acts and Joel, we see that there will be signs in the end times, including people having dreams and visions and prophecies, as well as the sun and the moon. So here is signs. It shall come to pass when these signs shall come upon you. Come upon you. That means that what would be occurring with these people, what would be coming out of their mouth. And this is something coming out of their mouth. Even if you just use the word prophesy, like other translations do. This is something that is coming out of these people's mouths. Multiple people. People in the band, as well as Saul. And it's not just one person speaking. It says at the end of verse 5 that they will be speaking divine words. And then verse 7 and verse 6, that you also would speak divine words. So it's multiple people, even like we saw in Acts 2, multiple people moving their mouths, speaking divine words. Speaking in tongues is divine words. You can't get more divine. Speaking in tongues is speaking divine words. Amen. And it's a sign. Now we're going to pause right there. Keep a footnote. I mean a bookmark. Put a bookmark right there. And we're going to look at two other verses, and we'll come back to this. We'll come back to this. Keep a bookmark there. Let's go to the book of uh, uh, Psalms, chapter 22. Psalm 22, verse 3.
Psalm 22, verse 3, says, Yet you dwell in holy, the praise of Jezreel. The footnote says this is a direct and accurate literal translation. The meaning is that he dwells in our praises and in holy temples of flesh. He is also the praise of Jesus. So it has multiple meanings. This is word by word what it says in the Greek Septuagint when you look at the Greek words. Yet you dwell in holy, the praise of Jezreel. You can read that back and forth different ways. He dwells in holy or holiness. He dwells in us when we're holy. He dwells in our holy temple. And he dwells in the praise of Jezreel. He dwells in our praises. When we praise, when we worship, when we sing, he comes to us. He comes upon us. He jumps inside of us when we are worshiping and praising him. We hug him. He hugs us back. And he dwells in holy. He is the praise of Jezreel. He is the praise of, of Israel. So there's many different ways that you can read them. And however you read it is all true. All those different statements true. And he does inhabit our praise, and that's how it is most often rendered and understood, is that he inhabits our praise. There is power in worship. And when we worship him, and do not hinder, and do not quench his spirit, he can come upon us. Amen. Now let's go to the book of uh, New Testament, the book of Mark, before we go back to Samuel. Mark 16. Mark 16. And let's go down to verse 17. Mark 16, verse 7. These are the words of Jesus, and he says, Mark 16, verse 17. These signs, these signs, can come from commitment in my name casting out demons, and speaking with new tongues. Now that word new, it's just meaning new to you, not brand new. It is something that Saul, people in the Old Testament times, we're going to look at other verses in the New Testament to show that it was not new. But to you, it's new, it's different to you, it's unique to you, it's not yourself. Remember, it said to Saul that you shall become a new or another Man, you become another man, which means a new man, a different man, something new to you. Amen. So it's a sign. Speaking in tongues is a sign 
It is a sign that God is present. It is a sign that God is uh, speaking to a person, trying to say something, trying to relay a message. It is a sign of God's power. It is a sign of his presence. It's a sign of his blessing, his anointing. If it is a true tongue from the Lord. We know that there is fake tongues and demonic tongues. But we're talking about if it is true and real from the Lord, it is a sign from above of his presence. Amen. Also, the picking up of uh, the picking up of serpents and drinking daily poison that it won't harm them, won't hurt them, laying on the sick and they shall recover. These are different signs that do follow true worshipers, people that really and truly follow and worship the Lord. These are things that might occur among the congregation. God did tell Moses to pick up the serpent. We cannot say that that is always demonic. We cannot say that that's always testing the Lord and tempting the Lord. Remember what I said in the sermon yesterday, do not hinder and do not limit the Lord, what the Lord wants to do. If the Lord wants to speak to a donkey, let him speak to a donkey. If he wants to call a woman minister, let him call a woman minister. We know that normally, generally, most of the time, he wants the men to be the pastors. That's absolutely biblical. He wants the men to be the leaders and the pastors. But I would not be here today. I would not be here today. Where I am, spiritually with the Lord, as an apostle, as a prophet, as a pastor, if it wasn't for a woman leader that led me two years when I first got truly saved, I needed that woman minister, the pastor's wife, to teach me to raise my hands, unhindered, unashamed, to worship the Lord and to allow the Spirit of God to move and to not give up and to live holy and to read the Bible and to fast and all those things that were taught to be by a woman because the pastor was bedridden and she did not want to lock up the doors and send everybody home and send everybody to another church. But she kept the doors open for those years while her husband, the pastor, was bedridden. If it wasn't for her, I would not have made it past all the trials and tribulations of those days. If the Lord chooses to use a woman, do not tell the Lord he cannot do it. He's fault. He's God. Now, there are exceptions to many things. But the speaking in tongues is a sign from above when it is true and real. So we saw, now let's go back to 1 Samuel 10. One Samuel ten verse seven, and it shall come to pass when these signs shall come upon you. So we do see in in Mark sixteen 
that speaking in tongues is a sign that can come upon people. We saw it in Joel and Acts that speaking in tongues is God coming in and filling up the people, filling up the people, and it is a sign. Now, we're going to go back to verse 6. I'm going to point something out to you before I forget. Verse 6, the Spirit of Jesus shall come. That word come, I'm going to change to leap, shall leap upon you. Mark out the word come and replace it with the word leap. Look at the Greek word there, and it is leap. The Spirit of Jesus shall leap upon you. It is a quickening. It is a fast, quick motion. He jumps into the person. It is emotional, ecstatic experience. Amen. Spirit of Jesus shall leap upon you. Speak divine words with them. And shall be turned into another man. And shall come to pass when these signs shall come upon you. Then shall you do whatever your hand shall find, because Theos is with you. So it is the presence of the Lord. Verse 8, and you shall go down in front of Gargal, and behold, I shall come to you to offer uh, a whole burnt offering and peace offering. Seven days shall you wait until I shall come to you, and I will make known to you what you shall do. And it shall come to pass when he turned his back, and it came to pass when he turned his back to depart from Samuel, that Theos gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass in that day. Now we know that the presence of the Holy Ghost is said to give people another heart. Now we know that the Holy Ghost did not really exist yet, but the Holy Spirit already did. It's the same Spirit. But the Holy Ghost means the soul of Jesus after he died. He came back to life. It is a part of God. But that part of God and the rest of him is all the same. He is one spirit. And he changes hearts once he comes upon somebody. And all these signs came to pass on that day, verse 10. And he came there to the hill, and behold, a band of prophets opposite to him, and the spirit of Theos came upon him. In this case, the word came is a different Greek word, and this time we're going to change the word came to the word sprung, sprung. It's not the same word as leaped. It has the same meaning as far as leaping, but it also has another meaning. And the other meaning is a bubbling up of water or spirit and as a spring as a spring, like a hot spring or a water spring coming up out of the ground, it is the Holy Spirit of God springing forth out of your belly, out of your mouth, in the, spring, uh, the bringing forth of, a, of a speaking in tongues of God flowing, flowing. If you do not dam him up, if you do not hinder him, if you do not quench, a springing up, it can be translated as leaf. But it's not the same word for leap as we saw in verse 6. Since it's a different Greek word, I'm not going to put leap in both places. 
this particular Greek word can be translated leaf, but it can also be translated as spring forth or to, to sprung, to spring up or to bubble up or to leap. So it sprung upon him. The spirit of Theo sprung upon him and he spoke divine words in the midst of them. So because it is two different Greek words, we know that what happened to him is that, yes, Jesus leaped into him, but he didn't just leap into him. He also sprung upon him like water in the face, more like not just in the face, but within him. It is said that it is also from within that the water, that the Holy Ghost springs up out of the mouth from the belly. We're going to read a reference to that. Let's finish this, and then we'll go to that reference that I'm thinking of, about water springing forth from your belly. In the speaking of the Holy Ghost. And he spoke divine words in the midst of them. Verse 11, And all that had known, known him before came and saw, and behold, he was in the midst of the prophets. And the people said, everyone to his neighbor, What is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And one of them answered and said, And who is his father? And therefore it became a proverb or saying, Is Saul also among the prophets? Verse 13, And he ceased speaking divine words and came to the hill. So we're going to keep it as far as right now. We're going to keep all the places where it says speaking divine words. But we're just going to add in parenthesis after that in each case speaking in tongues. At least for now, that's what we're going to do. Now, again, in each one of these places where it says speaking divine words, normally most translations would say prophesy. Let's think about the word prophesy for a minute. It is prophet sign. Prophet sign. That means prophet speech. Prophet speech. Speaking forth as a prophet. What does that mean? What does it mean to speak as a prophet? It means to speak the words of God. A prophet is a man that speaks God's words. God says to the man, thus say of this, say this, and he repeats the words of God. God says, Russia and China will invade the United States, and the man relays the message. A prophet just relays the words of the Lord and the things that the Lord teaches. So we traditionally think of a prophet as a man that is declaring the future because the Lord has shown him this in a dream or a vision or in tongues or by reading the Bible and God has revealed the meaning of the scriptures to him or has spoken in his mind or heart or whatever or whatever, however way the Lord has taught him or shown him or directed him in that teaching. And thus say of the Lord. It is no different than speaking in tongues, because speaking in tongues is the voice of the Lord speaking 
through the mouth of a man. It's the same thing. That is why it is the word prophesy. But I'm not going to use the word prophesy here because when we think of prophesy, we think of declaring the future, and that's not what was occurring. Because if that is what was occurring, it would have said they declared that this nation would invade this nation, so forth, so forth. And that's not what was declared. And all the other times when they declared the future about uh, prophetic events, you, you don't see the Spirit of God leaping into the person. You, you don't see that happening in Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. So that's not what's declaring here. That's not what's happening. But rather, it's God speaking. Now let's go to John 4. In the New Testament, John chapter 4. We're going to see other, other places in the book of Old Testament as well here in a minute. But for right now, let's go to John chapter 4. I want to show you about the bubbling up of the Holy Ghost from the belly. John 4. And I, I don't know that it's going to say from the belly here, but somewhere is going to have to find that one today. John 4, verse 14. Let's go back a few verses here. John 4, verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, but Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Sumerian woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of Theos, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Living water is moving water and water that gives life. He said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then did you get that living water? You are not greater than our forefathers, Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. For the water that I will give him will become in him, in him, inside him, a well of water springing up to eternal life. Underline the word springing up. That is the same Greek word that we found in Samuel, 1 Samuel 10 concerning that he sprung upon him. 
So it is the same word as a water spring. And this water spring of eternal life is within the person and is coming up. Now, if it's coming up, then it is from the belly. It wouldn't be from the legs. That wouldn't make no sense. Where does water go? If you drink water, it's coming from the belly. And the context is here is drinking water. That is the context here is drinking water. You got to have the water inside you before it can come up from you, from your mouth. The water is in the belly and it comes up from the mouth, the living water, the living word. The living word comes out the mouth. And it's bringing up to eternal life. He sprung upon him. It bubbled up. It bubbled forth these words of divine living, divine life. Amen. Now, let's go back to Samuel, a different chapter, and find another Old Testament instance. One Samuel 19. One Samuel nineteen. And if you bear with me, we'll also, after this, see an instance of this occurring in the time of Moses as well. So let's look at another instance of Samuel first. One Samuel nineteen, verse twenty. One Samuel nineteen. Verse 20 through 24. 1 Samuel 19, verse 20. And Saul sent messengers to take David. And they saw the assembly of the prophets. And Samuel stood as anointed, uh, as appointed over them. And the spirit of Theos came upon the messengers of Saul. In this instance, I think it really is the word came. We're going to leave it like that for now came upon the messengers of Saul, and they spoke divine words. In other words, they spoke in tongues. So you can mark out the part of the foot and know that there's possibly worshiping or, because now we know what they were really doing was speaking divine words, which is speaking in unknown tongues. But the spirit of Theos came upon the messengers of Saul, and they spoke divine words. In other words, they spoke in unknown tongues. Verse 21, and it came, and it was told Saul, and he sent other messengers, and they also spoke divine words. And Saul sent again a third set of messengers, and they also spoke divine words, spoken tongue. It catches on fire, it spreads. Amen. So, this is not declaring the future, because declaring the future wouldn't make any sense in. This chapter, it wouldn't make any sense. They declared the future, and they sent another group, and they declared the future too, and they and they sent other messages, and they declared the future too. Really doesn't make any sense at all. But speaking in tongues, how one person starts, and then another person starts, and then another person starts, that's reality. That is how it works, and it does make sense. 
And these are people that are speaking for something. Something's coming out of their mouth. And it's because the presence of God coming upon these people. Amen. Verse 22, Saul was very angry and went himself also to uh, his place, Arbathath, and he came as far as the well of the threshing floor that is in Sephi. And he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And they said, Behold, in Abrath and Raymond. And he went there to that place, Narath in Raymond, and there came the spirit of Theos upon him also, and he went on speaking divine words until he came to that place, Narath in Raymond. In other words, he spoke in tongues for a length of time. Verse 24, he took off his clothes and spoke divine words, spoke in tongues before them, and lay down stripped all that day and all that night. Therefore they said, is Saul also among the prophets? Footnote says, possibly totally naked, but also possible just without his royal clothing. But I'm thinking more and more that it really was that he was completely naked. It really doesn't make sense to me that he just took off his royal clothing and laid there stripped of his royal clothing all that day and all that night. But notice here also that because he was speaking these divine words that they they said he must be one of the prophets too. He's among the prophets. So this was something that in that day and in that time, in Old Testament times, it was seen as something that was more specific for only a certain group of people to do. The prophets. Not everybody would do it. And even in this day and time, not really everybody. Not really everybody speaks in tongues. And we do not have to be speaking in tongues. We do not have to be speaking in tongues. There is nothing in the Bible that says that you must speak in tongues. In fact, Paul said that we do not all speak in tongues. He said, is everybody a teacher? Our answer, if we respond to that, would be no. He said, is everybody a prophet? Our answer to that would be no. Not everybody's a prophet. He said, does everybody speak in tongues? Our answer would have to be no, because all the other questions in that same verse is all answered as no, if we, if we answer the questions. So no, not everybody's a prophet, not everybody's speaking tongues, not everybody's a teacher, not everybody's a deacon, not everybody's a pastor. We all have different gifts, and speaking in tongues is a specific gift that only certain people have. Amen. And here, only the prophets had it in that day and in that time. Now, in this day, in this time, it's not always a prophet. And I would give you a verse in the time of Moses when it was not only the prophets, but disciples as well, and leaders, but not necessarily prophets. But here in Samuel, in chapter 10 and chapter 19, 
it was seen as something that prophets did. And again, what does a prophet do? They speak the words of God. Amen. But in these cases, it is an instance of uncontrolled, ecstatic energy and springing forth with the presence of God, a divine presence of God, a special increase of pouring forth of his spirit in these people. That's different than going up on the mountaintop, seeing the face of God and hearing the voice of God and then coming back down from the mountain and repeating his words. Or seeing a vision or a dream at the end repeating what you saw. Or reading the scriptures and giving divine understanding and then repeat what you learn. So it's different. It is a quickening of the presence of God, an increase of the presence of God for a momentary length of time of a few seconds or a few minutes or an hour or two or all night long. But then the next day, that spirit lives to a certain degree. Of course, now in New, in New Testament times, the Holy Ghost does not part from you anymore like it used to in the Old Testament. But nevertheless, even in, in our day and our time, the Holy Ghost would lift to some degree. And I believe that the removal of clothing represents the letting go of hindrance, letting go of obstacles that hinder us in our worship, letting go of materialism, letting go of, of legalism and things that hinder us. It is the representation of being closer to God, the way that God made us, without the new materialistic legalism and man-made religion that is forced upon us. I do believe that praying in the nude brings you closer to God. I do believe that listening to the Lord while you are in your bathing suit that God gave you at birth is a way of reaching the Lord unhindered. And that we came into this world with nothing and we leave out of this world with nothing. Amen. Now let's go to the book of Numbers in the book of Law. And we're going to read about during the time of Moses. Numbers 11. Numbers chapter 11. Starting in verse 16. Numbers 11, verse 16. And we'll read from verse 16 down to verse 29. Context of the time here is 
just before he sent the quail. This is still very early after they had crossed the Red Sea. Something like only about two or three months after they crossed the Red Sea. Very early on. Numbers 11, verse 16. And Jesus said to Moses, Gather me 70 men from the elders of Jezreel, whom you yourself know that they are the elders of the people and their scribes. And you shall bring them to the tabernacle of witness, and they shall stand there with you. These are the appointment of elders, 70 elders, disciples, that would assist Moses as leaders of the people in order to help him out since prophets and apostles do have great responsibility and much work to do. Verse 17, and I will go down and speak there with you, and I will take of the spirit that is upon you, spirit that is upon Moses, and and put it upon them, upon the 70. And they shall bear together with you the burden of the people, and you shall not bear it alone. But what's going to happen is these 70 men, leaders, would receive the Spirit of God. That the Spirit of God shall come upon them. Amen. And verse 18, and to the people they shall say, you shall say to the people, purify yourselves for the next day, and you shall eat flesh. For you cried before Jesus, saying, Who shall give us flesh to eat? For it is well with us in Egypt, and Jesus shall allow you to eat flesh, talking about the quail, and you shall eat flesh. I'm going to send you quail. Verse 19, You shall eat, not eat one day, nor two, nor five, nor ten, nor twenty days. You shall eat for a full month until the flesh come out of your nostrils, because they had complained so much, and it shall be a nausea to you, a sickness to you, because you disobeyed Jesus, who is among you, and cried before you, saying, What had we to do to come out of Egypt? And Moses said, The people among who I am are 600,000 footmen. And you said, I will give them flesh to eat, and they should eat a whole month. Now, really, they ate 40 years. But he's saying, for the first whole month, they're going to have so much, it's going to make them sick. Verse 22, shall sheep and oxen be slain for them, and shall it suffice them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them, and shall it suffice them? So Moses was not yet understanding what kind of flesh and how the food would come. Verse 23, and Jesus said to Moses, Shall not the hand of Jesus be fully sufficient? I'm going to bring you. You don't have to sway it yourself. I'm going to bring it. Now shall you know whether my words shall come to pass to you or not. And Moses went out and spoke the words of Jesus to the people, repeating his words. And he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people, and he sat them around about the tabernacle. Jesus came down in a cloud, and spoke to him, and took of his spirit that was upon him, upon Moses, and put it upon the 70 men that were elders, and when his spirit rested upon them, went inside these people, they spoke divine words. 
when the Spirit of God came upon them, they started speaking divine words. That's speaking in tongues. Seventy men started speaking in tongues. That's exactly what's occurring here. They was not declaring future events. They were speaking the words of God, and God was speaking through these people. Amen. So again, we're going to cross out the part of the footnote that says possibly, because now we know. Now, I am sure of this, this is what happened. And they spoke divine words and then see. Again, it's a temporary thing. You never see where it says that they spoke prophecy and then ceased. You never find that anywhere in the Bible. Verse 26. And there were two men left in the camp. The name of the one was uh, Eldad, and the name of the other was Modad. And his spirit rested upon them, and these were of the number of them that were enrolled, but they did not come to the tabernacle, and they spoke divine words in the camp. And the young man ran and told Moses and, and spoke, saying, Edad and Modad spoke divine words in the camp. And uh, Joshua, uh, Jehoshua, the son of Nun, who attended on Moses or assisted Moses, the chosen one, said, My leader, Moses, forbid them. And Moses said to him, Are you jealous in my account? And, uh, and would, or I would, Put there, Robert, then put I, amen. The I would, that all of Jesus' people were prophets. I would that everybody was prophets. Whenever Jesus uh, shall put his spirit upon them. And that needs corrected to something about that. Verse 29, whenever Jesus put his spirit upon them. So, coming of God's presence upon a person, making them speak divine words. That's got to be speaking in tongues. Amen? I'm sure everybody agrees with that now that they have read all these verses. Amen? It is very clear that that is what is going on. But many times it takes time for us to accept a revelation. Sometimes it really takes days, weeks, months, or years for us to finally say, yeah, absolutely, that is what it was. Because we have been so brainwashed to think that speaking in tongues was a brand new development, that God had somehow uh, came up with a brand new ideal <laughs> of, of something, a new gift out of the blue, from nowhere, uh, in the Acts chapter 2. It doesn't make any sense. If you think of all the gifts, the gifts of singing, the gifts of uh, the different offices and stuff, none of this is really new. Amen. None of it is really new. He has always empowered his people with different gifts, always. And none of the gifts are new. They lifted up serpents, Moses' day. People healed the sick. The men of God, the people of God healed the sick, cast out devils and everything. All that already existed. 
Let's go back to the New Testament. Book of Acts, chapter 19. Acts 19. Verses 1 through 7. For people just tuning in, we're reading from the translation called the Alpha and Omega Bible. The restoration of the original scriptures. Acts 19, verse 1. It happened that while Apollos, this man called Apollos, was at the town of Corinth, that Apollos, Paul, passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Ghost when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Ghost. Now, some translation says Holy Spirit, but that may, doesn't make any sense because these were believers. These were believers. It says at the end of verse 1 that he found some disciples. These disciples would be people that believed. He said, did you receive him when you believed? So they had already believed in Jesus. They were already followers of Jesus. So they would have known that there is a such a thing as the Holy Spirit. Of course, how can you not believe in the Holy Spirit if you already believe that Jesus is God, that there is a God, that there is a Savior, that there is a Messiah, that his name is Jesus? How can you not know there's a Holy Spirit? So it cannot be Holy Spirit. It has to be Holy Ghost. They did not know that there is a part of God, the soul of him that died, and then rose from the dead that comes back to you and lives inside you and empowers you and gives you gifts and empowerment and strength. Amen. Speaks to you and he speaks to all of us. Got to listen and believe. So we didn't even hear that there was a Holy Ghost. Verse 3, and he said, Paul said to them, into what then were you baptized? And he knew, Paul knew, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, if you claim to be a disciple, if you claim to be saved, you must have been baptized. Why would he say this? Into whom or what was you baptized? He knew they'd been baptized because you cannot say that you are a disciple that you are a believer, that you are a follower of Jesus, and you've not been baptized. So into what was he baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Pablo said, John, he baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized. Again, in other words, they had already been baptized in John's baptism, which did speak of Jesus. 
and repentance and belief in a God, in the Holy Spirit. But even though John was a true man of God, John the Baptizer was a true man of God, a true prophet of God, and did baptize people and did teach repentance and did teach about Jesus, his baptism wasn't sufficient. We have to be baptized in the ministry and congregation of Jesus, not in the ministry and congregation of John the Baptizer, who was considered as an Old Testament, even though he's in the New Testament, he was considered Old Covenant ministry because he would have required men to be circumcised. He would have required animal sacrifices. He would have required obedience to all the Old Covenant law until the death of Jesus and resurrection. So you have to be baptized into Jesus in the body and blood. Romans 6 says that we are baptized into his death and his resurrection. That never existed before his death and his resurrection. Amen. And this is why all Old Testament people must rise in the second resurrection, which the churches do not teach. But the Bible does teach. Amen. So they have to come back in the second resurrection, including Moses, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah. They have to read the brand new scriptures that are being written right now. Because God is still speaking. God is not mute. God is still speaking, and he has always raised up prophets and people that wrote down his words. <clears throat> he changes not. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forever. God says that they will not receive their promises without first learning about us. They will read of our testimonies and our struggles and our trials and our tribulations and our persecution and our victory and be taught about the baptism of Jesus, which they did not know anything about. <coughs> and then they shall be saved by the body and blood of Jesus Christ. The Holy Ghost only came of Holy Spirit, only came upon them for a short time. And he moved upon them, he led them and directed them. But it was only until he breathed upon the 12 disciples or the 11 disciples, breathed upon them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Only at that point of time did the Holy Ghost really start living and dwelling permanently within the New Covenant converts. Amen. Now it says here in verse 5 that they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 6, And when Paulos had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came 
on them. And they spoke in tongues. And it says, and worshipped. And many translations says, and prophesied. So now what we're going to do is we're going to edit this and improve and continue to improve this translation as we continue to get deeper and deeper into the original languages, the original, the oldest scrolls and codexes and, and so forth. And as we receive more teaching and revelation from the Lord, we'll continue to improve this translation. And so now, we're going to cross out the word worshipped and where it says in the footnote, possibly, we'll cross that out too. And what it's going to say now is, and when Paulos had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spoke in tongues and spoke divine words. Praise the Lord. Now, you may say, but it already says, spoke in tongues. So why would it say it two times? They spoke in tongues and spoke divine words. If they were the same thing, why does it say it twice? And that's a good question. And I ask myself that question as well. And the answer is, that we see the evolution of language. Thousands of years had passed between the times of Moses and Samuel and the New Testament writing. Thousands of years had passed, and we see an evolution of language, of letters, and vocabulary, and everything. For example, when we use the word prophesy today, we never mean speaking in tongues. When we use the word prophesy today, we're talking about declaring future events. But yet, the word prophesy in the book of Samuel and Numbers does not mean declare future events, but rather it means to speak in tongues. Amen. So I believe what's occurring here in verse 6 is that it is explaining itself that they are speaking in tongues while declaring divine words. Declaring it is explaining itself, which the Bible does constantly. Explaining itself. That it's divine words that they are speaking while they are speaking in tongues. It is interpreting, the Bible is interpreting and explaining itself within the same verse, which it does even in the book of Revelation and throughout Scripture. So it's not contradictory to have it twice if it's explaining itself. Verse 7, there was about 12 men. Now, many people in the Pentecostal church declare falsely that if you are truly saved, you will speak in tongues. But yet the Bible never, ever says that you must speak in tongues as the evidence of salvation. Never says it. And if it was true, it would say it somehow, some way. But they point out, but, but, he got saved here. He received the Holy Ghost. He spoke in tongues. And it says it here, and it says it here, and it says it here. Yes, yes, yes. But there are other times 
that they got baptized and they got saved and they received the Holy Ghost and they did not speak in tongues. And their answer is, oh, it just leaves it out in those cases. And so they want to insert an assumption or they must have spoken in tongues. Well, it's wrong to assume things and assert words that it doesn't say. We can't just assume in those cases where it does not say they spoke in tongues and assume that they did. That would be wrong to assume things. Amen. There is nothing that says it is required. In fact, again, like I said earlier, Paul said, are we all prophets? No. Are we all teachers? Do we all have this gift? Do we all have that gift? Do we all have interpretation of tongues? No. So the answer is no, we do not all speak in tongues. It is a specific gift some people receive. We're not all prophets and we don't all speak. And you don't have to be a prophet anymore to speak in tongues. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians 14. We're almost done here. 1 Corinthians 14. Because a lot of people do have a problem with speaking in tongues because they know that there's a lot of fake tongues out there. But 1 Corinthians 14, verse 39. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 39. says, Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak in tongues. Now, of course, he's talking about true, biblical, Holy Ghost tongues. Do not forbid. Of course, we would forbid it if it's demonic tongues or if it's gibberish. Of course, the pastor should say, that's just gibberish. Sit down and shut up. Pastor has that right and that duty, that responsibility to stop it when it's fake or if it's demonic. That's the problem. That was the problem at Corinth, and that is the problem that are in many, many Pentecostal churches today, is that the pastor never ever stops it or very rarely stops it when it's fake. But a pastor should. But we should not forbid speaking in the true tongue, which the Baptist Church does. The Baptist Church, even the primitive, even the uh, very demonic missionary Baptist, you can't get more demonic. I don't know of a more demonic church anywhere on this earth than the missionary. Baptist church because you can see the demons in those people when they're preaching. They look like a rabbit dog foaming at the mouth when they speak. You can't get more demonic than the missionary Baptists, but even those people forbid speaking in tongues. All the Baptist churches, as far as all the ones I know, many different denominations of Baptists, all forbid. And yet, the Bible says do not forbid it. Have they never read this verse? Have they never read their Bible? Well, I've known a lot of people in the missionary Baptist church, and no, they've not read their Bible. 
Missionary Baptist Church, it is true. I'm a witness, a living witness. Those are the most ignorant people of the Bible I've ever met. They don't know the Bible. They have not read this verse. Amen. And if they did read it, they wouldn't believe it. So do not forbid speaking in tongues as long as it's real. And we'll look at one more verse, 1 Thessalonians 5. One Thessalonians chapter 5, and we read this yesterday, and it's worth repeating as our final verse of today. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 19 and 20. One Thessalonians five verse nineteen. Quench not the spirit. Amen. Allow the Holy Ghost of Jesus Christ to flow, to bubble up, to spring forth, to leap forth, and to speak. Allow God to speak. Who is going to tell God to not speak? And yet the Baptist Church does it all the time. God should not speak. You're not allowed to speak in our congregation. That's what the Baptist Church says to God. Hell and the Baptist Church forbids, or not forbid, but they restrict baptism, saying it's not required. And the Bible says you must be born again of water and spirit. Both. God receives the spirit, but you also got to be immersed in water according to the Bible, according to the very teachings of Jesus and what the disciples did. Even in Old Testament times, the people had to be baptized in order to be converted and to accept and uh, be adopted into the Israelite family and to worship the true God. They had to be baptized even in Old Testament times. And even in Old Testament times, they called it being born again. That's a fact of history. That if you as a Gentile, a heathen, you worship false gods, and you learn of the God of Israel, you wanted to serve the one true God of Israel, you had to be born again. And that's exactly what they called it in Old Testament times. And it was done through being born of spirit and water. Now, you have to be born again. Jesus said you must be born again. Amen. Quench not the spirit. Verse 20, despise not prophecy. Don't despise the speaking of divine words. Don't despise it, but embrace it. Covenant. You should covenant it. You should desire it. You should want it. Let's play the musical instrument. And let's sing praises and lift hands and worship God and sing and dance and worship and say amen and say praise the Lord and get excited and allow the Spirit of God to move. And stop being fearful of what people think and what people's going to see. Think of us and exercise the liberty that God gives us to worship Him. He wants us to worship Him. He is worthy of all, all, all 
our praises and more. We cannot worship him loud enough or patiently. We cannot worship him. Just worship him. Become a new person. Lose your mind. Lose control of yourself. Stop being hindered in your worship. Lose your thought of where you are and who you are and everything. Stop thinking about him and her and this and that and yourself and put your mind upon God and be lifted up to heaven. Look at Ephesians says we are seated in heaven. We have to stop thinking so carnally and think spiritually and allow the spirit and the mind of Christ to rule in our hearts. Man. If this church of God worldwide is ever going to cast out demons and heal the sick, we have to first allow the spirit of God to move. Stop limiting God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for listening today to the Day of Pentecost special sermon on this high holy day of Pentecost. Old Testament tongues. People spoke in tongues in the Old Testament as we read in 1 Samuel 10, 1 Samuel 19. Numbers 11, three different places at least in the Old Testament where they did speak divine word after the Spirit of God moved upon them, leaped upon them, and changed them and their actions. They became a different person, speaking forth not their own words, but the words of God in a very ecstatic, uncontrolled, energetic manner. That's exactly what we have witnessed this day the Holy Bible. And, and we're going to witness it more and more and more. We will witness it in this congregation sooner or later when God sends that gift from people of his choosing. Amen. Praise the Lord. And in the final year before his return, it should be greatly increased upon this earth. Many people will be saved in that day and that time of great tribulation. But we're not going to see much repentance before the tribulation because the people are wicked, proudful, stubborn, stiff-necked, and rebellious. That is reality. And we must speak forth the truth and reality. We will see an increase in his people before the tribulation, but not in huge numbers. It would take the chastisement of the Lord and great destruction on the earth before people will turn around. And that is the reality of the situation. But there is a great day of Pentecost coming, one year before he returns. And in that day and that time, he will rise up, raise up the 144,000 and the great multitude. Look, 
with the empowerment of the Holy Ghost. Amen. There is a great day coming. That day and that time of the final year of the Lord. I will uh, save this broadcast this morning and send it on to our congregations in Zimbabwe. And Brother AJ in South Korea will be posting it to the SoundCloud website as well. Uh, and everybody will be free to uh, download this and uh, record and listen to this sermon again at your convenience. Give us some time to get the uh, audio files processed. Please check it out. And I will also be updating the article about tongues. Give me a few hours or a couple of days or so to edit that article, and then I will send a newsletter notification about the update to that article when I have finished that. So please give me some time on that. Oh, we plan a wonderful feast this afternoon. Got a great old big giant pot roast, uh, potatoes and carrots and celery and onions and uh, macaroni and cheese with real cheese. Woo! Bunch of it too, a box of extra cheese, real butter, and some kind of uh, mystery dessert. <laughs> and all this goodness later this afternoon. We got balloons and steamers throughout the building here because this is a day of rejoicing, a day of thanksgiving, a day of excitement, a day of celebration. We're celebrating the Lord. We are worshiping. Praise his holy name. Oh, praise his holy name. Praise his holy name. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Lift your arms up. Worship him. You feel the presence, or when somebody does it, you do it too. So that it flows. Lift your arms up and let it flow. One person starts clapping, you clap. One person sings, you sing. And let it flow from one person to another so that the fire can spread. Because he is like a fire, and he is awesome and worthy of all of our praise. Amen. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, tomorrow, and forever, and without end. Worship him more. Pray more. Be more grateful. Be more rejoicing. Be more positive. And work harder for the Lord. Work harder for the Lord. While it's still day. While we still may. In the name of Jesus. Amen. All of this in Jesus' name. Please, if this is your first time listening, please check out our ministry website. www.com. I saw the light ministries.com. Thank you for listening. All this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.